Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ArdenFBC.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Paul and Silas in their second missionary journey, we're going to see what they did, and we're going to bridge the application to you and I in 2022, some 2,000 years later, How do we learn from their example as we see them going through their second missionary journey? Well, before we get into the main points, a few background would be helpful. Uh, Thessalonica was a big metropolitan city. So just to give you an example, first of all, how many of you live in Hendersonville? Raise your hand. How many people are in the city of Hendersonville? Any any idea? About 10,000, 11,000 people. So that's, you know. Pretty good. Actually, 15,000. Hendersonville is growing. It's up to 15,000. All right. We have some people coming from Haywood County. Waynesville has about 10,000 people. Asheville, I was shocked. Asheville City proper is about 100,000 people, uh, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. So Thessalonica, to put it in perspective, 200,000 people is estimated. So twice the size of Asheville. Uh, If you live in Hendersonville, 15,000, so you can imagine that's several times waynesville that's 20 times the size of wayne so a big metropolitan area and a little background of thessalonica it would have taken paul from where we left off in Acts 16 it would taken him a pretty good journey he would have had to travel for a while and his his back is still bleeding from the time he got whipped in the jail you know he, he was healing from that and thessalonica when he arrives he would find this predominantly greek culture It was known as a free city, even though it was a Roman city. They allowed them to have their own elections. They could mint their own coins. And they didn't have any Roman soldiers there. So it was considered a free city from that perspective. So when he comes to this major metropolitan area, he notices that there's a lot of people, majority of the people don't know Jesus. And when we come into where we live, work, and play... We come across the same observations. There's many people that do not know Jesus. So what I want to do is give you four actions of a world changer. Number one, you can turn the world upside down when you don't quit your calling. So look back at verse one. It says, when they had passed through Amphilius and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Now, when we just review, we've been out of Acts for a while with the Christmas series and the Kingdom Culture series. When we review what Paul has been through, most of us would have quit. Let me give you some illustrations. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn back to Acts 13. When Paul started off on, started off on his first missionary journey, one of the first people he runs into is a sorcerer named Bar-Jesus. So how many of you, when you first started out in ministry, the first person you encountered was an occultist? How many of you would have quit at that point? You know, like you, you teach a Sunday school class and there's someone from the New Age movement, or a witch shows up in your class, you're like, all right, I'm, I'm done, you know? Many of us would have stopped there. Uh, in Acts 13, 13, somebody bails out on Paul. Does you remember who that was? John Mark. We don't know why. Most likely he was homesick. He wanted to go back to Mama's estate, where he had a big house, a sweet life. Paul, there's too much drama. I'm going home. In Acts 13, 42 through 52, uh, in Antioch, 
he was persecuted by some of the city officials. And you remember all the women, many of the prominent women, what do they do? They didn't like Paul. You know you got problems when the women of the city want to kick you out. I'm like, I'm getting, Mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. I'm getting out of this city. All right, fast forward to Acts 14 and Iconium. They make plans to stone Paul, but he hears about it and he escapes and goes on to the next city in Lystra. In Lystra, they stone Paul. And we're not told that he died, but he was near near to death. And you remember the disciples gathered around him and prayed. And what happened to Paul? He got back up. And did he quit? No, he just kept on preaching. He went back into that city and kept preaching and then left the next day. In Acts 15, Paul has a persecution of another kind. He has to face religious people. And sometimes religious people, that can be the worst persecution. So in Acts 15, we have the Jerusalem Council where some of the Judaizers, those who believe it's Jesus plus works or Jesus plus circumcision equals salvation, he has to debate them. And uh, we, we jokingly said several weeks back that the women, it didn't bother them so much, but the men, it'd be like they're pulling up in their minivan, honey, I'll see you after church. Because the Judaizers believe you had to be circumcised or have surgery in order to be a Christian. So the men are like, no thanks. So after that was solved, that you don't have to be circumcised, there was, I'm sure, a great, great encouragement there among the men. All right, fast forward in Acts 15:36. John Mark steps back on the scene. And you remember Barnabas wants to take John Mark. And what does Paul say? I don't think so, right? So Paul's like, you wigged out your the first missionary journey. I don't want to take you again. So what happens to Paul and Barnabas? The dream team splits up. Does Paul quit then? No, he keeps going. Then we have in Acts 16 where we left off last Paul finds himself in Philippi, and I don't know what it is with his demonized people, but there was this demonized girl that she claims she can predict the future. And she seems to have some success because all of a sudden his, her masters are making money. And when Paul cast out the demon, her, her so-called fortune tell ability, ability is gone. So what happens to Paul? He gets thrown into prison. And you remember in Philippi, Paul and Barnabas are doing what? Or Paul and Silas, I should say, they're singing hymns at midnight. So, and all of a sudden, earthquake happens, they get set free. So here we have Paul making his way back to the next city. And he finds himself in the synagogue of the Jews. So Paul kept going. And I just want to give a little encouragement to all of you. Some of you may not be called to be pastors or missionaries or worship leaders, but we all have a calling. And many of us, if we face discouragement along the way, we want to quit. If someone uh, is negative towards us, maybe in our Sunday school class, or maybe something happens at work that someone else is a Christian, what happens? Well, I'm not going back to that church. A lot of us will quit our calling when the going gets tough. But what we can see from Paul, and this theme continues to emerge, he never quits. Paul was not willing to quit. He was not willing to stop until Jesus called him home. He kept going. He had a little bit of gospel tenacity. He had a little bit of grit in his step. You remember the gospel grit? If you got gospel grit, you don't quit. So if you want to turn your world upside down, you have to live right side up. So Paul did not quit his calling. All right, number two, someone say, turn the world upside down. Second action is you can turn the world upside down when you passionately present God's word to unbelievers. So Paul is in a synagogue of the Jews. And look in verse 2 what happens. Then Paul, as his custom was, went to them 
and for three Sabbaths reasoned to them from the scriptures. So Paul first went to an audience where he knew the people were not believers as a whole in Jesus, right? There may have been some, the gospel had spread to certain areas, but as a whole, they, they, they weren't, they weren't Christian. So it's like the equivalent of you going to places where you know at this family get together, most of the people are lost. It, it, it's the place where you know if I show up here, most of the people don't believe. So Paul, that did not face him. He's like, listen, unbelievers are one step away from becoming believers. And that's true for all of you, that everyone that you talk to is just one step away from becoming a believer. And this may be their year. This may be their moment in time. So Paul preached for three Sabbaths. And we know from First and Second Thessalonians that the likelihood is after he preached to the Jews, he stayed a little longer in Thessalonica because Paul wrote how many books to the church? Two books, right? First and Second Thessalonians. So here's a homework to this week. Read First and, Thess- First and Second Thessalonians this week so you can kind of see about his ministry. So what did Paul preach? Did he preach himself? Did he preach politics? Did he preach his, about social movements? What did he preach? No, he preached the scriptures. Because one thing Paul knew and we should relearn is that the power is not in personal persuasion, it's not in personal effects, the power is not in politics, it's not in social movements, but the power is always in the gospel. Paul knew that his authority was not in himself. His authority was not in his ability to proclaim something. His authority was in the scriptures. Paul knew if I present the scriptures, that's where the power of God is. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Fun thing happened last night, and I didn't, I didn't get Lori's permission, so it's not, a, not an illustration about you, but it is, so no tension in the room. It is. Uh, Lori was reading the scriptures to Lincoln, and it was, uh, she was actually reading from the Old King James. We had this Old King James Bible. And it was the passage where if your brother sends against you seven times in a day and seven, day, seven times says, I'm sorry, you should forgive your brother. And Lincoln, he's only five, just turned five, so he's thinking, man, I've, I've literally sinned against Gabriel seven times today. And he, he's like, what do I do? And Lori's like, well, you got to ask for forgiveness. So it was just a, it was a kind of a sacred moment. They're reading the old King James version of the Bible, these and thou's. It sunk into Lincoln's heart, and he said, Gabriel, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And then Gabriel was listening, and Lori's like, is there anyone that you need to apologize to? He's like, I need to apologize to Kira. So he runs upstairs and says, Kira, I was wrong. I sinned against you today. And I'm like, and my wife, she, it wasn't me that came up with this application. She said, look at the power of the word of God. I read the scriptures and all of a sudden there was a revival going on at the Brown family last night. And it's like, so that, that's, that's where the power is. It's like we could correct our children all day. Stop this. Don't do this. But we're reading the Bible to them. All of a sudden it's like the word of God did what we couldn't do all day, right? I'm preaching to someone today. So he preached the scriptures. He knew that was his authority. And in Galatians 1, he writes to the church at Galatia. And in Galatians 1, 6 through 10, he says, I marvel that you're turning to a different gospel than the one we preached. And he says, woe to the person that preaches another gospel. There is no other gospel other than the one that was delivered. The gospel that Jesus lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death. He rose the third day victoriously over sin, death, and the grave. And he's coming back again. Amen. 
So in one of D.L. Moody, he was a famous evangelist many of us are familiar with. He had this big tent crusade. And how many of you guys ever been the services where it's like testimony and people stand up? And I want to thank God back in, you know, 1962. People start sharing testimony. Even though I've been to those services. They're, they're fun. Sometimes they can get off track really fast when people start. Um, but anyways, this guy stood up and he said, I want to thank God. I've been on a Mount of Transfiguration experience for five years now. And everyone's like, ooh, ah, I've seen the glory of God. And he was just going on and on. And D.L. Moody interrupted him said, can I ask you a question, sir? In your Mount of Transfiguration experience, how many people have you led to Christ in the last year? And the guy's like, oh, he didn't want to lie in church. I, I don't know. How many, sir? None? He's like, yes. And he said, listen, folks, we don't need this transformation experience, transfiguration experience, where we are so high on a mountain, we can't stoop down to reach and help give the gospel to sinners who need saving. Amen, right? That's what D.L. Moody said. So if we're going to the next point, if you notice in Acts 17, 2 and 3, this is on your listening guide, there's really four actions that we see what he did in his teaching. First of all, it says he reasoned. And this word reasoned, it has the idea that there's a dialogue going on. In the original Greek, it had the idea of a conversation. So Paul wasn't giving simple a monologue. He was allowing the audience to give questions and feedback. And what do you mean about Psalm 22, for example? What's going on? So he he had a conversation. And this is a plug since it's the new year. If you guys aren't in a life group, you're not in a small group, this is the time to get connected because that's where the dialogue happens best. In a big audience, it's a little difficult. But in a small group, I just want to encourage you to just to get involved so you can have the dialogue. What does the scripture mean when it says this? And in a community, you can learn how to apply the scriptures to your life. The second word is he not only reasoned, but he explained the scriptures. That word explain has to do with imagine teaching in a way that people can understand. I mean, who likes confusing teachers? Said nobody ever, right? Whether it's your biology teacher, your science teacher, or your Sunday school teacher. We want to understand it. So Paul reasoned. He explained, and the third action word is he proved or he alleged. And it makes me think of a lawyer in a courtroom, that you're presenting your case before the judge, and each lawyer, whether prosecuting or defense, you want to present your case in such a way that you prove your point beyond a reasonable doubt, right? So that's, Paul was taking the scriptures and like, here's what the Bible says, And the fourth thing he did is as he set up that the Messiah had to suffer, his fourth action was Here's Jesus. He is the Messiah. So those were his four actions as he taught them. So here's the thing. If you want to turn the world upside down, you've got to get into the word. You've got to stay in the word. You've got to live the word. You've got to proclaim the word. And all of a sudden, you'll begin to see your world turn upside down. And if you want to turn your world upside down, you have to stay right side up. Number three, someone say, turn the world upside down. You know, I'm preaching a little faster. We may get out early today. And everyone said, (laughs) all right, number three, you can turn the world upside down when the gospel is at the center of your message. Notice back what he he did. We we talked about he explained and demonstrating that Jesus or that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead and saying this Jesus whom I preach to is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. So what was at the center of Paul's message? It was 
Jesus that he had to suffer, die, and be resurrected. John Stott, I want to read you this quote, and this is in your listening guide. Christianity at its very essence is a resurrection religion. The concept of a resurrection lies at its heart. If you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. So here was Paul's message everywhere he went. No matter whether it was Mars Hill, we'll get there in the future, or whether Thessalonica, the idea was, hey, listen, we're all sinners, but good news, Jesus suffered for your sin. He died for your sin. He rose again. So have you noticed, and some of you have a cross necklace. How many of you have a cross necklace or cross emblem? Many people do. And that's symbolic that at the core of the Christian message is the resurrection. Without the resurrection, there's no Christianity, right? Without the resurrection, sin's not defeated. Without the resurrection, death's not defeated. As I mentioned, the Christmas Eve service, for those of you who are here, it really stood out to me. An African-American pastor gave such a good illustration. He said, you know, before the resurrection, death was this big pit that you would see footsteps and whoo, people would fall off. But there was no footsteps on the other side. And year after year, century after century, footsteps leading up to a big hole, and that was it. But on Resurrection Sunday, Jesus went, and there was that big hole. But after three days, there were footsteps on the other side. So from now on, we don't fear death because we know there's footsteps on the other side. We know Jesus gives us the victory. Amen. So Paul proclaimed the resurrection. He reasoned from the scripture. And it brings the question, what scriptures did Paul talk about? I don't have time to go into all of them. But perhaps he used Zechariah 12. Perhaps he used Isaiah 53 that Joe read about the suffering servant. Another one that we'll throw up on the screen is Psalm 22. And this is David. And David lived about a thousand years before Jesus came on the scene on planet Earth. He says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart, it's like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. Now listen to this next phrase. They have pierced my hands and my feet. That's a thousand years before, approximately before Jesus was crucified. I can count all my bones. They look at me and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. And as I mentioned on the Christmas Eve service, for those of you who are here, there's more than 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his earthly ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection. More than 300. So Paul could have taken any of those 300 and said, listen, look at the Old Testament. So here, here's where the Jews struggled, just to give you an idea, to walk in their sandals. They thought that the Messiah was going to be the king of David, and like a king, he was going to rule and reign. He was going to kick out Roman occupation. So for their mind... It didn't make sense that it would, he would just be a suffering servant his first go around. They didn't get that. So they're like, we must look for another Messiah. But what they didn't realize, this same Jesus that did suffer now, when he comes again, he's going to come as the returning, conquering king. The first time he suffered for sins, but the second time he comes, he's going to come as the conquering king, king of kings, lord of lords. He's going to come and right in every wrong. Amen. So trust in him. So notice the response. A great multitude of devout Greeks believed. And notice that Luke highlights not a few of the leading women. Now something about Luke we've talked about before. As you go through Luke's gospel and Acts, it was written by Dr. Luke. 
He often highlights women, which was rare to do in that, in that culture. Luke gave dignity where dignity was due. Women need to be honored. Women were used in the ministry. If you read Romans, I believe, 16, if I'm quoting the right chapter, about one-third of the people mentioned with Paul were women. So Paul used women to help him with the ministry. So here, here's, here's just an application I want you guys to think about. You and I are kind of like the Uber Eats, Grubhub, delivery boy or girl. How many of you ever had Uber Eats or Grubhub or DoorDash before? All right. How many of you get your groceries delivered? All right. Some of you are like, yes, it's great, right? I remember when I had COVID back several months ago. When was that? Like uh, September. When I had COVID, the whole family had COVID in September. It's kind of a hard family of seven quarantine. We're like, we've got to eat. So many of you were generous and sent some Uber Eats gift cards. And I remember... I got to confess, in addition to getting food that we really needed, I, I did like um, Dairy Queen and it was like a blizzard. I mean, when you're sick, there's nothing like a Oreo or a Reese cup blizzard. I mean, like my COVID feels like it's gone right now or in this moment. But here's the thing I want to get you about the Uber Eats Grubhub is the person did not make the meal. They didn't prepare the meal. All they do is deliver the meal, right? Here's the thing about the Bible. We did not invent it. We don't create the message. The gospel is not something we made up or we imagine. All we do is we're the delivery boys and girls. We just say, here's the message. And listen, if they reject you, they're not really rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. So our only goal is just we're the DoorDash girl or guy. We're delivering the message. So here's the challenge. And since the new year, I'm going to start giving you some vision statements as we go throughout the next few weeks, is one of our goals in 2022 is to have how many gospel conversations? A thousand. All right. I got to tell the first service, second service knew more. All right. So there's going to, got to fire them. A thousand gospel conversations. And you're like, that's, that seems impossible. Well, if just a hundred of you participate, just a hundred, we've got, you know, several hundred active attendees, but just a hundred of you sign up for this and you have one a month, you will reach more than a thousand in a year. So, and it doesn't have to be a long, complicated thing. I'll just give you an example. This week on Friday, when we had so many of you come in for end of year giving, we had a gentleman come in and he needed some support to go to a funeral. He didn't have money to go to his father's funeral. So we, we kind of vetted him and we have a, a humanitarian fund that's kind of like a benevolence fund to help people. So we wrote him a check so he, he could get some help. And in that moment, I just said, do you know the Lord Jesus? Do you have a relationship? And just a short conversation. It wasn't long. And the guy said, yes, I do know Jesus. And, you know, that was that was we was able to pray with him and encourage him. So that's that's the essence is you present Christ. And if they say, no, I don't know Jesus or I'm a religious person or whatever, they give a wrong answer. Then you start leading them along the gospel road. And we're going to have a training in February, so I'll give you more details to come. But we're going to have a training of just practical tools so we can equip you so that if you're in Ingalls, you're in Harris Teeter, uh, if the DoorDash delivery guy comes and you have, you know, whatever it is, it's like you can have conversations. Not weird or, you know, you're forcing, but just a natural, hey, can I ask you a question? Uh, Tell me about your, your spiritual beliefs. Do you have a relationship with God? And all of a sudden, you know, generally people like to talk about themselves. Have you noticed that? So if you ask good questions, be prepared. They're going to talk. So here's the thing. If you want the world to turn upside down, the gospel has to be the essence of everything you do. The gospel is the secret sauce to your life. You ever heard of the secret sauce? That's the gospel. What makes me different is the gospel. The love of the gospel is what motivates you to share. And the power of the gospel is 
the dynamic energy that propels you to share. And Paul gives us this encouragement that, you know, we see his life. He went out and he spread the gospel. And it goes back to Acts 1a. If we go back to the beginning of Acts, Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But before that, he talks about this power that comes upon you. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall receive power. So here's the thing. We don't have the power in ourselves. The power is in the Holy Spirit. When he moves in, he gives you this dunamis power to be empowered for ministry. And he helps us. So just a little tip. You're like, well, how will we keep track of that? All my administrative people, if you're administrative, raise your hand. All right, we've got maybe 10, 20% of your administrative. You're asking, well, how are we going to keep track of that? How many of you asked that question? How will you know if you had a thousand? Okay, well, here's how we're going to keep track. If you have a gospel conversation, email the church office. Let us know. Tell your, your life group, your Sunday school teacher about it, and we're going to keep track. So by the end of 2022, you know, we're going to see how many gospel conversations we have. And each ministry department, we're going to set goals. So let's say the kids ministry, all the volunteers and even the children, imagine if they set a goal, we're going to have 50 conversations. The women's ministry, you guys can do 100, I'm sure, or 200. So together, I think we can reach the goal, okay? All right, so someone say, turn your world upside down. This is the final point. Are you ready? Number four, you can turn the world upside down when you stand strong in the face of great opposition. So we notice Paul... Everywhere he went, most places they either tried to kill him, they kicked him out of the city, or they're like, we don't want you back here. Get out of here. Okay? But what happens next is quite interesting. It says, but the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace. Now, I just love that graphic in the King James, lewd men of a baser sword. They got all the, 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 the people that just got out of prison, say, they, they rallied them up. And they're like, let's cause a riot. And notice what happens. They gathered a mob and all the city was in uproar. And they attacked the house of Jason and brought them out to the people. So here's the thing. How many of you remember science class back in the eighth grade, ninth grade? Newton, I almost said Luton. It's Newton. He has the second law of motion. And does anybody remember what it was? Everything remains consistent unless what? Unless it's compelled by an outside force to change. Everything remains consistent unless someone outside force. So here's the thing. If you come and your life is different than everyone else's, imagine what will happen to the world around you. Imagine what will happen in your conversations. Sometimes it will be a good reaction and sometimes it will not be so good reaction. We realize you're just, you're just the Uber Eats guy or girl. You're delivering the message, right? But notice in his text, look what happened next. Did the people of Thessalonica, did the mayor host a, a grand parade for Paul? Did he give him the gold, the key of the city? You know, they have that, here you go, Paul. Did he say, Paul, you've been so gracious to present the salvation message. I want you to stay in my penthouse over here. Did, did, did they give him a, a celebration? Did that happen? No. And here's, here's the reason why. Paul had a message that was contrary to the message of the world. The message of the world is basically, you know, you get all you can, you can all you get, and you sit on the can. The message of the world was, whatever feels good, go for it. The message of the world was, I'm just going to operate in my own religious system. The message of the world was, let's do it the way we think's right. 
But the message of the gospel is, you ain't right, I ain't right, only Jesus can make it right. And that's offensive to the world. It's offensive. It's the scandal on of the gospel. It's the, the message is offensive. Now, I've got to have a little caveat to this, that while the message is offensive, the messenger should not be offensive, right? So it's kind of like you present the offensive message of the gospel in the least offensive way possible. So the message is offensive, but you should not try to be offensive, okay? Try to present it in the way. And that's the way Paul did. He, he reasoned with them. He had a discussion with them. He wasn't the obnoxious person that just, you got to turn or burn. No, he had a conversation with them. So when the people weren't convinced, they became mad, and the mad people turn into a mob. But there was one motivating factor. Why did the people get mad? Was doctrine at the core? No. What was at the core of the people's anger? They were envious. They were envious. So we've got to be careful when God blesses someone else or God blesses the church down the road. And this is so easy. We begin to break down why that church is being blessed or why that family is being blessed. And we've got to ask the question, why am I tearing apart that other person or the other church? Is there envy? And for Paul's case, he was winning people to Christ by the drove. So the other religious people that were of the Jewish faith, they were just like, hey, people are leaving our synagogues and going to follow Paul. They weren't very happy about it. So here's the thing. The application is keep, keep presenting the message. Even if you're in the minority and the majority is against you, keep presenting the message. In 1928, Rudolph Loyola was born in Cuba. Most of you have never heard of him. But Loyola was, you know, a young man in his 20s. And in time, he began to accept Christ. He was led to Christ by a female evangelist. And when Loyola was 40, he found himself as a professor of literature at one of the universities in Cuba. And he was, you know, a professor, but on the side, he was a pastor in a local town. And at that time, Castro did not want anything to do with Christianity. So he told Loyola through his government, they like, you've got to stop this Christianity thing or you can no longer have your job as a professor at the university. We're gonna, the government's going to give you 15 days to decide what to do. And Loyola basically said, I don't need 15 days. I don't need, even need 15 minutes. I'm resigning as of today. And the story of it in there would have been, you know, sad, but the story went on that a few days later they kidnapped him in the night and they took Loyola to a concentration camp. And Loyola just kept going. He kept presenting the gospel. In fact, so many inmates of this concentration camp became Christian. This is, this is in 1970 approximately, that Castro's government didn't know what to do. So Get this, within two years, they transferred him 13 times to different concentration camps. Because every time he went to a concentration camp, he would win a lot of the inmates to Christ. And they would kick him out and go to the next concentration camp. So after 13 times in two years, they're like, we've got to get this guy out of the country. He's like leading everyone to Christ everywhere he goes. So Castro's government told him, this is in 1970, he had 30 days to find $2,000 so that he could get out of the country. They are going to send him to Spain. So uh, Rudolph Loyola didn't, didn't know what to do except to pray. And he wrote some support letters and began to send them out to his family and friends across different countries. And money began to come in. And he raised exactly $2,000 and $2,010. So with $10 left in his pocket, 
he was sent to Spain where he told the people there that Castro had sent him as a missionary to Spain. (laughs) He just kept going. So if we think that we're so far removed that this was the Apostle Paul, no, there's stories throughout even today that we could bring up that people keep going. So let's, let's throw the big idea on the screen. How do we summarize this? If you want to turn the world upside down, you must stay right side up. Now, do we have any optometrists in the room today? Any optometrists? All right. This is something um, I, I remember learning back, but I researched it again. But did you know that when you see something, in, as it goes through your eyes, the image is upside down and then your brain flips it? Anybody ever heard that before? You, you can Google it. As you look at something, the image is backwards, like upside down Timothy, upside down tree. But what it does, your brain, it flips it to right side up. And what I want to encourage you is what the world sees is upside down. When you become a Christian, it's flipped to right side up. What the world sees as old school, and those are traditional views and values, and they're no longer politically correct or culturally relevant. When you read the Bible and you see through the Holy Spirit, he flips it, and it's no longer upside down. It's actually right side up. So what the world sees is upside down, what they accuse Paul of is actually right side up. And so if your mind is struggling with what we've talked about today, you just got to ask God, God, maybe I'm seeing things upside down. I pray your Holy Spirit would flip it so I'd see it right side up. So how do we do that? Well, three action steps. Number one, don't quit when the going gets tough. Paul, and this theme, you'll notice I keep repeating this theme because it keeps coming up in every paragraph. Uh, When most of us would quit, Paul doesn't. And he inspires us that just as he had some gospel tenacity, man, let us have a little more. Maybe we don't have the level of Paul. Maybe on a scale of tenacity of one to ten, Paul was a ten, you're a one. Maybe you can go to a level two. So in other words, maybe someone offend you before and you drop out of church or quit that ministry. Maybe you're like, no, I'm going to keep going another time. So grow in your gospel tenacity. All right, second application. Always point the world back to the word. As I mentioned, the power is not in your personality. As great a personality as all of you have, as amazing as all of you guys are in personal effects, all up, that's not where the power is. The power is always in the gospel. So I just want to encourage you, as long as I'm pastor here, and I hope that's going to be a long time to retirement if God wills, I always want to point you guys back to Christ because the power is not in me. It's not in a personality. It's not in anyone on staff. It's always in the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. So always point people back to that. All right, number three. Stay on mission. It's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to get diverted. It's easy to experience what some people call mission drift, where you're on track and you just get one degree off. It's easy. It's kind of like imagine if you're flying from Asheville to Los Angeles and your airplane was one degree off. Where would you end up? Not in L.A., right? And that's the way it is. So here's something we want to do as an application to that as we're doing a fast in 2022. Does anybody here like fasting? Probably not, right? But here's the thing. Fasting, the motive behind it is to draw closer to God. So some people say, well, Timothy, I fasted and God didn't answer my prayers. Well, that's not the motive of fasting. It's to draw closer to God, whether he answers prayers or not. So what we're going to do is give you guys three options. We realized last year the way we did it, it was a longer fast and it was a hard fast. We only had a handful of people who did it. So this year we're offering three options. So wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, one of these options will work for you. Option one is the Daniel fast. That's, that's the hard one where it's basically a vegan diet, 
And you're not supposed to have coffee during that fast. <laughs> now you know why most people didn't do it. Um, so option two is a vegetarian fast, and you can have coffee on that. There's just no dessert, so you're stripping yourself of everything but vegetarian. So you still can have milk and cheeses, things like that. So it's not like a vegan, it's vegetarian. And option three is a liquid fast. A liquid fast is where for breakfast and lunch, all you have is liquid. So protein shakes, smoothies, things like that. But at dinner, you eat a normal dinner. So that's probably the, the one that most people could do easily. Um, but we're going to do it for seven days. And for those of you who have had people in the first service, they want to do it longer, let us know. We, we do have some people that are doing it longer, extended fast. And the purpose of fasting is to deny yourself of something you really enjoy, like cheesecake, like steak, like whatever that is, and you lay it aside so that you can focus more on your spiritual life. And there's things that go along with it. Some of you may feel led to use social media a little bit less or watch TV a little bit less. The idea is you're setting aside your focus and your time to refocus on Jesus. And it's the idea of first fruits. You're giving God the first of the year so that you ask him to bless the remainder of the year. That's why we're doing it at the beginning of the year, the first fruits. We're giving God one of the first weeks. So along with that, there's going to be a handout. I think the handouts are in the back or is it in the bulletin? They're in the back. So if you do want to do this, there's more details. And I'll be sending out a video later, but we're going to be having a devotional reading plan as a church. It's on the YouVersion Bible app. Um, if you don't have a Bible app, you can read it on a website. But we're going to be doing a 10-day devotional together where you can comment, read each other's comments. And it's just the, the idea that we're coming together as a church to draw closer to God. And that will help you stay on mission. That will help you not to quit your calling. That will help you to really have your focus where it needs to be on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray.